civilization marches on. There's a guy out in Illinois just got a brand new patent. Patent, you know, like uh, those little things that they write on the bottom of uh, peanut butter jars that says patent pending. I wonder if any of those guys ever actually get their patent. <laughs> it's always pending. <laughs> but a guy actually got one out in Illinois. Patent number 67904368907G. And it's for a pulpit. A pulpit that converts into a bingo table. <laughs> you heard about that? Well, uh, you know, I just, uh, that's very symbolic. I mean, uh, I, I, but, oh, by the way, before I go any further, I'm, I must uh, say very strongly, right at the top, I do not make the news. I only report it. I do not make the news. I did not invent the pulpit that uh, converts to a bingo table. However, I can see the tremendous advantage of such a piece of equipment. As a matter of fact, I knew a guy who had down in the basement of his house a storage bin that looked like, you know, the kind of place you put the tires and stuff in, it converted into a still. I mean, every man has to have an escape hatch. <laughs> and uh, speaking of, uh, of uh, two-way pieces of equipment, uh, how many of you remember just a few years ago, now this is a, a, by way of a, of a modern technological automotive trivia question. How many of you remember a couple of years ago a car coming out on the market and it was in, within the memory of everybody who's listening over the age of three? So don't say, oh, this is before my time. Incidentally, everybody likes to believe that everything today was before his time. Uh, you know, therefore, it gives you the sense of eternal youth and even immortality. <laughs> so... Uh, all right, what was the car that came out a couple of years ago, talking about two-way uh, open-ended pieces of gear, let's say the ACDC concept? Uh, now you can, use, you can say anything you want about that. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to argue with Dr. Rubin. But uh, nevertheless, what car came out that had as its basic sales point the fact that the entire interior of the car, like the front seat, folded back both sides of the front seat and made an actual bed. Now, I'm not talking about just, oh, the seat folds back and you can relax. No, this actually folded up and made itself into a bed. I mean, with, with sheets, pillowcases, the works. What was that? Correct them all. You really know where it's at, Sam, right? So... <laughs> Now, a lot of guys bought a car that did that, and they didn't really utilize it, which is really sad. Uh, because, uh, I mean, that, that was a car who's honest. I mean, it really said what a car is basically used for in many cases. In fact, uh, I think cars are far more than status symbols. They're not status symbols. A car is a sexual symbol, which is not necessarily status. They're two different things. Uh, now, a sexual symbol... It can be many things to all men and few things to many men. But uh, a true sexual symbol is very, very private. Oh, yes, I know, I know people who, for example, uh, when they see a bowl of lemon jello, just a bowl of lemon jello, they feel faint stirrings of sexual excitement. Why? Well, no, wait a minute. No, 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 no. no. I'm, not, I'm not the Freud of general foods here. 
Uh, <laughs> why? Well, all right. Uh, let's say for argument's sake, uh, the kid is at the age of six, and he gets a, uh, an invitation to a birthday party. See, and there's this little chick in the neighborhood that he's really got a thing on. And he gets an invitation to this birthday party at her house. Let's say at Dawn Strickland's house, right? And he goes to Dawn Strickland's house. And he's got this gift, and he's all dressed up. It's a birthday party, and everything is is uh, very proper, and they have a cake and everything. And at the end of the party, when they give the kids all the stuff to eat, they serve them lemon jello. And he's got this little thing full of lemon jello. It's got a little, you know, little piece of pineapple sticking out of it, and uh, it's got a little heart on it and all that jazz. You know, it's a kid birthday party, right? He's eating the lemon jello. And he sees across the table Don Strickland. Now, remember, he's only six. Well, at that point, he is at the age of six. This is when the male begins to really appreciate that there is, in fact, another sex. Do you agree with that? Five. Well, of course, that's because you lived in the tropics. Uh, <laughs> you got a lot of sun. If you if you lived up in Chicago, it may be fifteen or twenty before you discover it. But <laughs> confound it. But uh, nevertheless, uh, when you you know when you when you first discover this unbelievable uh, development in life, that there is a totally different uh, type of being. Now it does many things to many men. Some people uh, you know flip and run and hide under the daybed. Uh, for the rest of their life, uh, many guys do. This is the, you know, the guy that's perpetually afraid of women. I've never understood that type. I have never been afraid of women. The, the, what what it did to me when I discovered at the age of six that there was another uh, type of being. See, at that time, you don't think it's terms of another sex. It's another kind of being, and you find it fantastically exciting. Now, some find it frightening. By the way, just plain excitation, you know, being excited can be many things. You can be scared, you can be, uh, you know, flipping and all that. But the first thing that hit me, you know, I became incredibly curious. Do you remember being curious, Sam, about that? I mean, and there were rumors that began to float around. <laughs> I mean, and you couldn't believe any of them. They were so incredible. And you, oh, come on, Flick, you don't mean that. Oh, get out of here. That's ridiculous. And you, you hear these rumors, see? Well, at that point, uh, you, uh, if you're, if you're uh, you know, a usual type person with the usual type of glands and stuff, and uh, you haven't been frightened by a, uh, by a bullwhip at the age of two, or you haven't been kicked downstairs by a gopher or something like that, you know, a trauma, if you just develop normally, you develop not only curiosity, but an insatiable desire to pursue knowledge which is to say, to learn more about that other type of person. In short, let's put it this way, that uh, when you discover women, you embark on a lifelong hunt. you agree with that, Sam? And as you get older, you get cooler about it. You know, you don't... <laughs> you know, you, you get so that you, you pretend like, uh, you know, uh, you know... Uh, uh, you, you, don't, you don't run into the Mai Tai. You don't run across the room knocking over tables and uh, the kicking waiters out of the way. You just, uh, you know, play it real cool. And then there's this little conversation that goes on between uh, people of the opposite sex that is never spoken. You know, the unspoken signals. I mean, like, 
you're right in the middle of biting a huge bite out of a salami sandwich when a pair of elfin eyes catch you from across the room. And she's eating a piece of salary. And you know that here is another person who is also a pursuer of knowledge. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's the way life is. You see, I'm not here to editorialize as to whether life is good or bad. We're just merely describing the way it is, right? So the guy that came up with this, uh, with this pulpit that neatly transforms itself into a bingo table is there, is therefore, he's not editorializing, remember that. He's not, when, when you make a piece of equipment, a piece of equipment does not in itself constitute an editorial. Let's put it this way. Uh, an atom bomb is just a series of wires, uh, pieces of metal, little bolts and nuts all strapped together. Now, does that atom bomb itself have a morality? In other words, is it good or is it bad? Or is it just a pile of junk? I see, it's a difficult thing. It's just like if you have a typewriter, you know? If you have a typewriter, you can sit down. A typewriter is just a piece of equipment, right? It's got all these little, uh, little things sticking out of the top of it, all these letters on it, and uh, it's got a ribbon running through it, and uh, it uh, types stuff. Now, the typewriter does not type out the manuscript of Moby Dick by itself. I mean, it just... Now, the typewriter can do one of many things. It can type out a, a magnificent poem, which will make not only you world famous, but bring new understanding to the existence of man. Wouldn't it be fantastic if you did that? Huh? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you open new doors to the world, and everybody says, My God, I never thought of life is that way. We will now have eternal peace and beauty because of this poem that Clarence J. Bullard wrote. That's the great dream. You know, you're, you're really going to do it, man. You're going to catch one on the fat part of the bat. Uh, do you ever think of yourself doing that? I mean, do you ever transform your, your, the things you do in your daily life into sports anal uh, analogies? Now, some guys do. Very few do. I do. But a lot of guys I notice don't. It's like, it's like, like uh, when I play a show, see, I go and I, I do a show on the stage, and I, and I happen to be really on that night, and really on. People are laughing hard, and after it's all over, I come off the stage. Now, I've never even told you this, Lee. I come off the stage, see, and I'm sweating. It's been two hours I've been on, on stage. My eyeballs are spinning in opposite directions, you know. My shoelace is broken, and the sweat is pouring down my back. Instantly, my mind says, aha, I stand up triple. <laughs> in other words, you know, you see yourself cooling into third base, you know. You, you belted that shot to such a far corner of the stadium that they didn't even bother to throw the ball to third base. They just relayed it in. Three guys had to relay it in, you know, until finally the second baseman got it, and he just tossed it to the pitcher, and you came into third standing up. Oh, what a feat. That's more exciting than a home run. You know that. Oh, yeah, any ball player can tell you getting a triple is the thing he remembers because it's the rarest of hits. You understand that? Outside of perhaps Boog Powell beating out a drag bunt. Now that's a rare hit. Uh, or Reggie Jackson beating out a drag bunt. You can't imagine, you know, those, those log sweeping sluggers. But uh, nevertheless, see, you, you, you transform. It's just like you, you go to work, you know, and you're sitting down at your desk and you get a, you get a, memo, a memo from, uh, you know, Mr. Bullard. And you read it saying, really rotten. 
It says, from now on, Kluberman, you will. And you read this and get mad. Then you sit down and you write off a great memo back to him. And you send it in the intercompany mail. And you, you settle back in your, your seat in the office. Do you see yourself as just dropping a Texas leaguer over the first baseman's head? And just easing into second base with one of these dropped Texas League doubles. Or when you, uh, well, you know, I don't want to get too specific here, but there are other achievements in your life which could be uh, given a sports analogy. <laughs> but the idea of this guy turning the pulpit into a bingo table makes eminent sense because he is in effect saying we're going to have to deal with two facts here in this house of worship. God and the devil. And I personally am not betting on either. So I'm going to produce a two-way stretch garment. I mean, in case the devil wants to take over, you press the button, and out comes the bingo table. <laughs> comes complete with, uh, you know, bingo cards. Comes complete with little corns and stuff, and, and, uh, and a wheel you spin. And then you press the button on the other side, and it comes complete with holy water. <laughs> I mean, it's automatic. I like that. I like the idea of a transistorized pulpit. And, uh, you know, it's, it's got a certain flair. So <laughs> this is WOR New York, speaking of certain flares. And, and everything you do in your life, everything, everything you do, it's, uh, it's been pointed out by various Babbitts from time immemorial that everything you do, you are selling of one kind or another. You know, so and there's many kinds of selling. I mean, if you want to sell in the classical sense, you see, you sit across the table from this guy and convince him that what he needs is a set of brand new rubber dentures, which you'll provide. Okay. Now, that's classical selling. Now, has it, has it ever occurred to you that crime is a form of selling? Oh, yeah, when a guy hits you over the top of the head with a 38, he is using a very direct method of selling. That, uh, after all, uh, <laughs> this is his direct approach to relieve you of $67.38, which was your last month's paycheck. And uh, he, you know, this is a type of form of selling. Now, uh, <laughs> uh, crime is basically a form of selling. Even, even such crimes as uh, picking the pocket. Have you ever had your pocket picked? You mean you haven't? You've lived in, in, in modern modern times, Mon, and nobody's picked your pocket yet? Listen, that's an embarrassing moment, I'll tell you. <laughs> and you know, I'll tell you, you know when you run into the pro. You know that, 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 that there are two kinds of pickpockets. Uh, there's the, you know, just like in life, there's the pros and then there's the other guys. And, uh, sure, you know, you, you, you can tell who they are. Even when you go into a restaurant, you know, there's the guys that belong in restaurants. You know, they know what to order. And, you know, they don't, uh, when the waiter comes over, they don't get confused and say, oh, gee, nice place you got here. <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's a typical non-pro uh, orderer. But the real pro, you know, he's, he's always got a surly remark right on the tip of his tongue. You know, even when he's in heaven, he's ready to criticize the food. You know, that's the pro. The pro is cruel-eyed, mean. And so it is with pickpockets. A real pickpocket, a really pro. You know what a pro will do? 
after your pockets been pecked? Three days later, maybe four, you will receive in the mail a white envelope, which incidentally pros, since they are pros, buy in large quantities at a professional discount. You will receive a white envelope with all of your driver's license, credit cards, and all that jazz nicely put in the envelope. No name, no return address. <laughs> That's, the, by the way, a sign of a pro. He never puts a return address on it. And uh, mailed from a very nondescript post office box number. You know, you, you don't even, it doesn't even say mail from Brooklyn or Cleveland or Miami. It just says on it the postal stamp. And this thing arrives, you open it up, and you know that you've been shucked by a professional. He has no desire to steal your driver's license. And he knows that if he gives you good service, you won't object to him doing it again. In other words, a professional always knows return business is more important than the initial sale. Okay? So that means it's time for commercials. The, re the reason that, uh, that I'm talking like this today, which is, uh, you know, somewhat... Uh, Somewhat, uh, not necessarily disillusioned, but with a clear-eyed view of, uh, of good and evil, is that it always tugs at all of us equally. And uh, I am doing a show right now from a place where good and evil is so naked and so upfront that even a guy who walks around wearing rubber boots on his ears can't help but notice it. Southern Florida. I mean, it's here. <laughs> and, and now... That's a fascinating place. I'll tell you, I, I, the reason I, I like to get down to Southern Florida is because Southern Florida is like the Army in many respects. Well, have you ever thought of that analogy? Well, now, have you ever been in the Army, Sam? Okay, all right. You know one of the things about being in the Army is that uh, you're never in the dark as to where a guy's actual status in life is. He wears it right on his shoulder. There's a bird up there, right? Catches the sun. There may even be a star. Ever seen that type? Ah, you don't argue with guys with those on the shoulders. You don't argue with a guy that has anything that shines on his shoulder. Now, you can argue with guys that have little pieces of cloth that are sewed to their sleeve, depending on how much cloth is sewed to the sleeve. You agree? Okay. One little... You know, one little chop like that, one little stripe, you can argue. In fact, you do, because you probably got one. And you certainly can argue with anybody that's as dumb as you are, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> now, the guy comes in through the tent, and he's got two. Well, you can still argue. Not as much. But you can argue. But when they get to have three or maybe four or even five, you'd better be careful. Now, in civilian life, of course, if you walk around the streets of Boston or Chicago or uh, Indianapolis, it's almost impossible to tell the PFCs from the lieutenant colonels. And for this reason, many guys have a secret nostalgia for military life where things were much clearer. You know where you stood right at the bottom, but you knew it. There was never any illusion. All right? Now, that's the way it is down here. It's really up front. 
Now, how is it up front? Well, for example, uh, you know what they call the Cadillac down here? They call the Cadillac the Fort Lauderdale Ford. <laughs> this is the land where if you... you know, the, the, the Cadillac is, is so common that it is not... not it's, it's simply not a status symbol. I mean, there's no way that a Cadillac is a status symbol down here. As a matter of fact, you know what a status symbol is down here? A 59 Dodge. If you have something as hip as that, that shows you really have to... Like, like the other day, I see a guy driving along uh, A1A, and he has a 1964 Dodge Coronet convertible, which for starters is kind of rare, do you agree? I mean, you know, they, uh, uh, convertibles would become very rare anyway. So this guy's driving along, he's got a 64 Dodge convertible. It's red. Now, in 64, there was a certain... Uh, kind of upholstery that was unbelievably in bad taste. It looked a, looked a little bit like linoleum. Uh, <laughs> and it's red and white linoleum is what it, with, with gold beading, gold trim over the back. You've seen that type? Big red and white with gold. And uh, the, the white was kind of faded and the red was kind of cheesy. And he had this red, it was a red car, okay? But he kept it in, in actual 1964 condition. For example... He had a, uh, a uh, bumper sticker on the back. It was 64, remember. And the bumper sticker said, How many kids did you kill today, LBJ? Okay. And he had on the front, It's Goldwater in 64. Now, that's what you see down <laughs> I'm serious. This guy, he's a real hip-looking guy. He's got a beard and all that. He's driving along. So, and, and, and it's a kind of perverse... Uh, Put on, you see. It's like it's like if you're a, if you're a member of the ACLU, we'll say. You know, you're 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 a real you're a real dedicated uh, liberal type. You know, oh, you know, the real dedicated type. You know, the kind of that if, if somebody yells loudly, you you break into tears and uh, proceed to form a committee to see what you can do about it. You know, somebody just hiccups and uh, you know you know the kind. Now, if you're if you're one of those types down here, and you really want to be hip, you walk into the uh, dedicated liberal ACLU meeting wearing a KKK button. <laughs> well, I mean, everything's, you know, that's, that, see, that's the kind of reverse hipness in, in a show. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like to go, if you go to a very elegant restaurant, you go wearing a pair of NBA Keds. Okay? It's a kind of, a, you know, it's a kind of a, it's putting a reverse spin on the ball. See, it's like if you go to Arby's, or uh, let's say you go to uh, McDonald's, right? You know, to the uh, home of the Big Mac, and instead of just going to the McDonald's, you very carefully put on a uh, a rather formal uh, rented tuxedo type thing. You're taking this chick to the Big Mac joint tonight, and so you go there very dressed, you know, very elegant. And you sit in the Big Mac atorium there, order your Big Mac, and then incidentally, if you do go to uh, Big McDonald's these days, be sure to get yourself a Mayor McCheese glass. Uh, this could be very easily a uh, tremendous uh, boost leg up for your approaching retirement. <laughs> I don't know what's the matter with my head, but uh, <laughs> anybody that likes a pulpit that falls out to make a bingo table. That would be a great conversation piece to buy a pulpit for your house. And you deliver little stirring addresses to your friends when they arrive. You know, you get up behind the pulpit 
and everybody's been drinking martinis, and uh, you give them a little lecture on morality, and then when they start getting bored, you press the button, and out comes the bingo table. <laughs> they shoot little craps on it. <laughs> well, anyway, here we are. You know, the, the, one, the one thing I want to say, though, about coming down here, and, and I'm very serious. I'm going to do two or three shows about this part of the world. Uh, you know, it's hard to believe that Southern Florida is, you know, part of the world. You think of it as, you know, Southern Florida, but it is. It's, you know, it's, it's part of the world, just like, you know, Burma, uh, places like Pango, Pango. And it's about as exotic, too, I might add. Let me tell you one thing you find out down here. If you think that violence is a thing that they only got in the big northern cities, they invented it down here. As a matter of fact, every newscast down here leads off with, a uh, unidentified male was found floating in the intercoastal with a single bullet shot in the head. He, right? Every day. Fantastic. There are more bodies found floating in the intercoastal than you see Pabst beer cans floating in the East River. That's fantastic. Every day. Uh, so what it is about this climate that brings about the perpetration of really spectacular crimes I mean, the kind of crimes when you read about them in Travis McGee, you don't believe anybody actually did. For example, here a few months ago, a guy shot his friend after stealing his car. His friend, remember. After stealing his car and uh, taking $10,000 from him, which he forced his friend to take out of the bank, he then shot his friend and walled him up in the wall of his concrete garage. Did you read about that one? Yeah, well... See, and then when the, when the neighbors began to complain because there was this curious smell in the neighborhood, uh, they came and they knocked on the wall and they found this guy's friend had disappeared because, you know, he heard the neighbors were complaining, so he took the wall down himself. And later, he took his friend and buried him in six inches of soil in his mother's backyard. Now, that's a nice touch. And his mother, by the way, helped him do it. You know, she went down to the basement and got the shovel and all that stuff. They were burying Howie. And uh, so when, when, it, when it all finally came out, you know, and they took the guy away to Rayford, uh, there was a great picture of him being taken away to Rayford. You know, he was wearing his, uh, his Robert Hall suit and looking angry. And uh, when questioned by reporters, his, his line, I think, is a deathless line. He said, yeah, I might have done it, but he deserved it. <laughs> How true of all of us! <laughs> but uh, now this is now this is uh, Southern Florida. Now let's get God, get down to the specifics. Every but there's two kinds of people in America. Three actually. There's the type who feels that when they retire, they're going to come to Southern Florida to live. Now that's that's generally the East Coast, from about Chicago east, and including Chicago. Then as you move west in the country, there's a large group of people who think that when they retire, they're going to Phoenix. They're going to live in Arizona. And then as you move just a slight bit west of that group, let's say you move to about center Iowa, they all want to move to Long Beach, California. Now those are the three major groups in America. And uh, it's like it's like the lemmings. It's, it, I remember my old man. He used to believe that one day, when it, when he got enough time off from work, that uh, 
he would go to Africa and discover the elephant's graveyard. Uh, you know, he didn't mean that. I mean, he used to say that thing. And, uh, and he would tell me and my kid brother, you know, that one day he's going to get a couple of weeks off. He's going to discover the elephant's graveyard. And uh, my kid brother, Randy, would always say, well, what's, why do you want to get the elephant's graveyard? He says, well, because all the elephants, you see, have this secret place. When uh, they're getting ready to die, they go to this secret place. And only the elephants know about it. And it's instinct. Something in their head says they got to go to this place. And they all go there. And this place has millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of ivory. All these elephants for age in the boil have gone and have kicked the bucket right there. And the old man figured that was better than working at the dairy. I mean, going there to the elephant's graveyard and you're hitting the double jackpot, see. Well, uh, little did I realize that this, this analogy applies to human beings. That we have three major elephant's graveyards in America. One of them is in the... <laughs> well, wait a minute. We're all in it together. I'm not putting down Florida. I'm just telling you we're all in it together. That we're all... It's like one elephant can't sit around and yell at another elephant for wanting to go to the elephant's graveyard because when his time comes, he'll go to the elephant's graveyard too, you know? So, friends, this is not a... <laughs> this is not to be taken in any way, shape, or form than a brief sociological treatise on the great elephant graveyard syndrome among my fellow human beings, <laughs> wherever we might be. <laughs> and, and, and so it produces some really great, great scenes. I mean, uh, uh, you come down here, and uh, you find uh, everywhere you look, you see the intimations of mortality. Uh, only in, in Florida have I seen, when you walk into a major department store, right by the front of uh, the department store, is a lady sitting at a desk. And there's a big sign that says, free EKG today. Uh, your blood pressure taken before you go up to the third floor to look at the lawn furniture. And they take, <laughs> they take your blood pressure. Yeah, you've seen that? Have you seen that, Sam? Well, you don't see that going at the Macy's in New York. You just don't. Uh, it's all muted up there. But here it's very out, out front. Uh, so when you walk in, they remind you that your blood pressure may be up today. So you better get it checked. Uh, and there are a lot of people on the floor of any department store in Miami who right are on that level. They better get it checked. Now, uh, so uh, one of the other things that you see here in this town of driving in, and, and I, I, I never cease to be amazed at the Arthur Godfrey. Is that a throughway or freeway? Do they call it throughway? Freeway. Huh? What? Raceway. <laughs> That's closer to it. <laughs> anyway, there's this fantastic, uh, uh, yeah, uh, expressway. Oh, of course. He's in showbiz. I mean, uh, uh, so it's Arthur Godfrey Expressway. Now, I wonder if Godfrey himself ever comes down and just, you know, just to, when your ego is flagging, you know, you come down to drive on the expressway named after you. Now, this is one of the things you got to say about this part of the country. It's, uh, it's in advance of the rest of our country. Believe it or not, this part, I believe, uh, this part of the country is well in advance in many ways, sociologically, of the rest of the country. For example, uh, they're the first people to think in terms of naming a major expressway after a showbiz star. 
You know, the rest of the country still names streets after presidents or numbers. You know, 38th Street or uh, generals, you know, Eisenhower Thruway, uh, MacArthur Thruway. There has to be in the future a, uh, a uh, Johnny Carson Expressway uh, and Mike Douglas Bypass. Uh, <laughs> you know, a Goldie Hawn Viaduct. Uh, <laughs> sure, I mean, let's face it, this is, a, this is a nation that's built on showbiz, and Miami recognizes it as an architect expressway. Now, I cannot understand why, uh, why New York hasn't got a, uh, a William B. Memorial Tunnel. You know, William. So there's more to come. This is W.O.R. New York. Stay tuned for In Conversation.